is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 546, recorded on Monday, September the 13th, 2021. Welcome, everyone, to the program. Welcome, Jason. How is this week going for you, even though it's only Monday? Uh, It's actually my first Monday in a few weeks. I had uh, last Monday off because it was a holiday, and uh, the Monday before that I was on vacation, so uh, it was pretty rough. Yeah. It's uh, the first Monday in like three weeks. Wow. Well, I'm sorry to hear you're back to Mondays, but um, I'm in the same boat, not because I was off for vacation recently, but I don't know. It's it's only Monday and I feel like I'm already having a bit of a week. So I'm I'm a little unsure about how the rest of this week is going to go. We'll, we'll just have to get through it and find out. Surely. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, uh, I mean, that's too bad, but we are here, of course, to talk about season 11. Episode four of The Walking Dead. We are now about halfway through the first block of episodes because there's going to be eight as usual. And Mm -hmm. it it feels like we're just flying through them in a way. What? That Okay. That seems (laughs) kind of crazy. We just started and we're halfway through already? We just started and we're halfway through. Yeah, exactly. So, Man, I'm just getting into the groove. Seriously, eh? Uh, you know, the, whether or not we feel like the story and the plot has progressed very much in the season is a different conversation, but I feel like the podcast world that we live in here is like, oh my God, we're halfway through the first block of episodes of the final season. So yeah, it's weird. It, it It's very weird. I feel weird now. <laughs> Whatever right. happened to like the days of, uh, the Adam West Batman where there were, uh, you know, 50 some odd episodes in a season. Yeah, you don't even have to go back that long for uh, for a lot more. Well, we're, we're getting 24, don't forget, which is unusual for The Walking Dead, of course, but... Well, it's spread out over like 15 years. <laughs> well, of course, they do stretch them out a little bit, that's true. Uh, but you're right, I mean, old old shows back in the early days of TV would have all kinds of episodes, like Twilight Zone did 32 or something in a season, I mean... Yeah, Gilligan's Island was the same thing. It was just like, we're doing a show every week. That that's it. We're just that you know. There's no stopping. We're doing a show every week from uh-huh. now on. <laughs> Cancelled, of course, but that was the plan. Right, of course. Uh, well, anyways, we've done well. We've done three, and we're about to do number four. So, what do you say we jump in? Sure. Rendition, the most boring title read possibly ever. Rendition. It's time for the rendition. All right. Well, thank you very much, Daniel in the UK and Jake in the UK for those title reads. One super boring and one uh, a little less boring, maybe. I didn't find either of them boring. Oh, well, that's great. That's good. Well, the, the first one, I uh, by was it Daniel in the UK? Correct. I thought it was it was perfectly fine. It was uh, you know, and it had the UK accent. You had your accent there, which is different than mine, and that's always entertaining for me. Uh huh. So I did not find it boring at all. Okay. Well, there you go. Never assume. It's boring, Daniel, or anybody. So Jason's all, he's easy to please, right? I, I really am. Good. And, I, and I'm cheap. So, you know. <laughs> cheap and easy to please. Cheap and easy. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's not, it's not a lie. There you go. All right. So this is episode four. It's called Rendition, and we are going to do our recap. So 
again, this episode, like the last one, starts during the Reaper ambush, Jason. And this time we follow Daryl uh, instead of Maggie or anybody else. Mm-hmm. So Daryl flees into the forest with Dog. And, you know, we don't see much of the uh, ambush, really. We just see him run away. And he's kind of sneaking around at night. And then he's moving along a brick wall of a building. And we can see around the corner that there's a reaper around the corner coming towards him along the other wall, the 90 degree wall. Yep. And so Daryl picks up a rock and throws it the other way to distract him while he escapes. Yes. So, so I want to know magic- how, he, how he knew he was there. Uh, he was listening. He moved his ear in such a way that he was listening for footfalls. And then when the camera cuts to behind the reaper, we heard his boot boots clopping on the, uh, on the pavement and it's not shuffling. So he knows it's not a zombie. So he just, you know, and what's the harm of throwing a rock to distract somebody who might or might not be there. Okay. That's a fair point. I was fine with that whole thing. It's interesting. And I'm an, and I'm a nitpicker. I've got the nitpick uh, dial on this whole episode. Really? I've got the the nitpick dial. I've got it set to the right point. Mm -hmm. It's just that nothing has, uh, there's not a lot that kind of moves the needle past where I've set the dial. Oh, so I did not have a problem with this at all. Interesting. So as we go on, you don't think there's going to be the usual amount of Jason nitpicks? I, I, there might be, I I don't have any that I've, I purposefully thought of beforehand, but as we go through these, something might come up. We'll see. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I was, I was a little concerned about how Daryl knew he was there, but you know what? Sound is a good, is a good, uh, explanation for this. I would say, the other thing too is I noticed that there's a lot of shadows around because of the the wacky lighting that we're getting here, and you know Daryl's shadow was extending, if I'm not mistaken, out beyond the side of the wall. So that Reaper definitely could have seen him, but I guess it's just lucky that he didn't. Uh, yeah, but like we talked about earlier, lighting. You know, if we're going to complain about lighting, then uh, the big spotlight on Daryl at the beginning there. Would have been a big red flag for everybody. Yeah, fair like, enough. Oh, there's a, a, a lighting system following that guy. I better follow him too. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. It's it's like the rain cloud rain cloud on uh, uh, Charlie Brown just follows him around. It's always right above him. Yep. All right. Well, Daryl gets away. He escapes. We are back in some woods then, and he has to fight a reaper hand to hand. This reaper kind of gets the better of him, but Dog steps in and helps by biting the guy's leg. And the dude just sort of picks up dog, throws him away, and then more reapers show up. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, what does he do? He throws a knife and runs off into the forest. Yeah. So I'm, during the you know first half of this fight, my brain was going, where's dog? Where's dog? What's dog doing? Oh, dog's not a police dog, right? He doesn't attack people on command in order to subdue them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he does. Uh, and that, that's all well and good. So dog had a good long time to think about what he was planning on doing. Sure. Uh, and then took a bite out of the guy and the guy just grabs dog and throws him, which is where we get the dog hurt sounds that we heard in the trailer. Yes. So dog's not going to die this season, which is nice. It is nice. I mean, I don't, well, if the dog doesn't die this season, dog's not dying because this is the last season. Uh, yeah, I don't like to see a dog picked up and hurled away, but I'd rather that than, you know, killed. 
Yeah. And okay, so do two stories about dogs. Uh one is uh I was in uh well I don't even know what grade I was in. It must have been grade one, maybe kindergarten, grade two. And me and some friends were running into a junkyard, uh with you know, big automobile junkyard, and they actually had a junkyard dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we were running in, this dog saw me and ran up and bit me in the same leg in the same spot that this guy, uh, was bit. Like this, this dog just clamped onto my leg and, uh, broke the skin too. Like he like dug into the muscle and flesh and stuff. And I just screamed cause you know, I was in grade one, what, maybe kindergarten. What the hell were you doing going into a junkyard when you were in grade one? Like you shouldn't have been out by yourself. Oh, uh, don't even get me started. Okay. Like, I don't even know that my parents knew where I was at all. It was, it was the kind of thing I lived, it was a different time. It was the seventies. It was, uh, you know, a small town. It was a rural area where everybody knew each other. Uh, and so at the beginning of the day, my mom would say, go outside and don't come back until you're hungry or bleeding. Mm. Uh, So I was bleeding. So I went home. Is basically huh. what happened there. Uh, I never did go into that junkyard. We never even got even through the door. And we, me and my brother were with a, a kid that his parents owned the junkyard. Like, so it wasn't like we were running through a junkyard uh, and this dog attacked us. It was, we were running during the day through the front door, front gate of this junkyard with somebody who owned the junkyard or their parents did. So it was, and this was a family dog. It wasn't just a junkyard dog. It was a dog that was at the junkyard. Uh, So it was terrible. It was a a terrible event. Uh, I had no permanent injuries except for a deadly, deathly fear of dogs for a long time. Oh, well that, that does sound scary, but I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. And ever since then, my first instinct would be, uh, and I've, reasoned this out. I've never, uh, I've never had occasion to try it, but if a dog ever bit me like that again, my first, the first thing I would do is punch it right in the face, <laughs> like right in the nose if I could, uh-huh. because that's the only real way to take care of an animal, uh, that has, you know, just start chomping on you. You do the same thing to bears. If you get attacked by a bear, just punch it in the face as hard as you can, as often as you can until you can't punch it in the face anymore. That's your only chance. Okay. Good in advice. Order to, to, uh, Get away from a bear. All right. Uh, so. That's kind of what, ha- what happened here. Maybe the guy punched dog in the face, picked him up and threw him away. Well, what really happened was the dog, the dog bit him. He picked dog up by the shoulders and then lightly tossed him away. Like, uh-huh. he obviously was a stunt dog and the trainer was, were doing that and they didn't want to hurt the dog, but picking up the dog like that and just kind of tossing it away like that would, uh, unless dog let go, that muscle was like all ripped to shit from, from dog. So I assume that whoever dog bit, and I'm not sure which character, uh, was bit by dog, uh, that they were severely injured by this, uh, by this exchange and then immediately healed. Of course, immediately healed. Yeah. You would think it would hurt and then they were fine. Yeah. Cause dog, the whelps in pain as well and the dog and dog's fine. All right. Well, we um, cut to daylight now because that was all happening at night. Daryl is digging into a walker to cover himself in the gormiflage, which he does. Uh, a reaper 
a particular reaper appears to be stalking him or hunting him. And you can tell by the eyes that it's a woman. Now, she comes across Dog, and somewhere nearby, Daryl hears Dog and goes toward him. Turns out that the Reaper has Dog, and they come face to face. She takes off her mask, and dun-da-da-da, it's Leah, Daryl's old girlfriend. Yeah, and Dog just settles in. Like, she is pretending to hold Dog, but Uh when she lets go, Dog just is like, oh, I'm going to stay here. This is nice. That's right. Daryl tries to call Dog to him a couple times, but he doesn't come. And Leah wants to know who the other people are that Daryl's been with. He claims not to know them. He calls them a small group. And yeah, Dog, as I said, doesn't come to Daryl. And then some other Reapers show up and surround him before we go to the opening credits. Mm-hmm. So I have Jan in Germany here writes in, holy crap, Dog is a useless piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a little harsh, but Jan goes on, either he is running off getting Daryl in trouble, or he gets manhandled by an unarmed dude who simply lifts him up and throws him to the soft forest ground over a distance of about one meter before he beats it. Not to mention, he didn't even come for Daryl when called, but stayed with the blonde wacko. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, a little harsh on dog there, Jan, but I mean, nothing you say is untrue. (laughs) Well, you know, relationships with dogs are complicated. Of course, it's not just a simply man and beast, uh, you know, as one mind uh, roaming through the universe, uh, kicking ass and taking names, and I'm all out of paper. Uh, So, you know, I I don't really have a lot of experience owning a dog, right? But when I I. did, uh, when I did have a pet dog, um, they didn't really do what I told them to do. But Mm. then again, I wasn't the alpha in the in the family at the time. Right. Right. So, and we've established from last week that uh, Daryl is not the alpha in this relationship. You know, a dog is the alpha. And uh, the only time dog does what Daryl says is that's because it's probably dog's idea in the first place. Probably, probably dog controls him. So I, I'm not too surprised by the way this, uh, this scene played out here, really, as you said. Yeah. And you can tell in dog's eyes that a dog is saying to Daryl, stay, stay, stay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> stay but Daryl doesn't really stay right he runs well, off all the time so Daryl doesn't listen to anybody no all right well after the opening credits we have our camera under a, a hood and it turns out of course Daryl's being dragged into the reaper hideout he's bound and hooded and this is, uh, this is my nitpick this is my nitpick this is the worst hood ever you can see everything through here like if if I was bound in this hood and I was walked to this encampment, I'd know exactly where I was. You could tell everything. You could read signs through that fucking hood. So terrible hood, probably helpful because, uh, you know, it helps us, the audience, see through it a little bit, but I get your point. Terrible hood. Doesn't black why, out his vision at all. And why would they bind his feet? Like just why you're making it worse for yourself to have to drag this guy however far you need to drag him. Just, you know. Put, sure, put a hood over his face, uh, tie his hands up, but make him walk under his own steam for crying out loud. Maybe they're worried. Maybe they know the hood isn't very good, so they're worried about him running away because he can still see where he's going. All right. Well, then they luckily they left drag marks for somebody to follow all the way back to the encampment then. Yeah, that too. It, well, it just seemed kind of silly. Yeah. Anyways, this apparently is Meridian. So this is where Maggie was wanting to go, right? I mean, maybe that was clear to everybody, but I didn't really think about it the first time I watched. 
but this is this is the Reaper hideout. It's Meridian. This is where they've they've moved in. So yeah, we can call it Meridian from now on. Uh, but they take Daryl inside. They dump him into a chair in a dark room, and we know that Pope, the leader of the Reapers, is there. But we don't get a good look at him yet. But we do hear him say something like, "Let's see if you're right." And um, uh, you know, we get this amazing wide shot of this dark room with light beaming in through the slits in the boarded up window. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last time with these wide cameras and we're shooting yeah. digital instead of film now. And I actually thought this one looked really spectacular in my opinion. It did. And the style, uh, you know, now that it was lovingly pointed out to us about the change from film to digital, yep. uh, it's very apparent now. It is, yeah. and But like last week, we saw a lot of sort of wider, I think there was some fish angle or fish eye lens stuff going on last week. This is just to me like a really wide and the way the light comes through, it's it was nicely done. Yeah. Uh, now, while they're dragging Daryl, I also wanted to point out that there are at least a couple of two or a couple of close-up shots of his hands and he seems to be doing something. And I think what he's doing is counting trying to keep track of how many different either voices or people he sees or hears through the crappy mask. That's what he's doing, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I didn't. Uh, I knew that he was doing something with his hands, but I didn't know what it was. And then later he says 15 people. Yeah. So the, that, 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 uh, the math checks out. So that's what he's doing is he, he's counting people. Smart guy keeping track of things. He's gathering intel the whole time he's there, right? Yeah. I would have just been fidgeting with my fingers, probably playing some kind of ACDC drum line or something. <laughs> just trying to calm your nerves a little bit. Yeah. You know, we've, uh, when in doubt, uh, do the, the drum part from Back in Black. All right. Good advice. Anyways, we're in this room. Lee is there. Leah is there. She takes Daryl's hood off. They talk briefly about their history and Daryl says he went looking for her He's sorry she ended up with these people, but she claims that these people are her family and they never stopped looking for her. So, so she's not sorry at all that she's with them. Uh, and she, you know, asks him again. She wants to know what the deal is with the people Daryl is with. He claims he has nobody and uh, she says he's filthy. So grabs a rag to clean him up, but uses it over his face to knock him out instead. And we... Fade down to black and then back up out of black. So uh, that doesn't work. Like if you take a wet rag and put it over somebody's mouth to turn them off. Uh, no. Uh, that doesn't work. If it was ether, maybe. But, you know, a rag soaked in ether uh, takes a few minutes. Like mm -hmm. it's not something you just go, oh, boop, it's not an off button. It's like you cover their mouth and then you wait. For well, a yeah. long time. I mean, chloroform, is that the same thing? That yeah. That's what people get unconscious with, right? Yeah. So I don't know what, uh, maybe she was just torturing him, starting the torture, because as soon as we come back to consciousness, right, he's been, he's being waterboarded and has been for some time, right? It's not just him being conscious again after being unconscious. It's, you know, stylistic fade to black, fade back in uh, to another, a different situation. Well, that's a good point. I, I sort of took it as, you know, going unconscious, but you're right. Maybe he wasn't actually. This was just the first steps to being waterboarded because that's what's happening when we come back. We are there with two Reapers doing it. Leah is watching and they're 
still trying to extract the same information from him. Who are the people he was with? Who's the leader, et cetera, et cetera. Daryl sticks to the story. He continues getting waterboarded, but after a second time, Leah stops it and says she'll handle this. Uh, so basically she insists that Daryl talk and she says their boss won't be so nice. Um, which, you know, we find out later he isn't really that nice a guy, but, uh, you know, eventually they drag Daryl into another building with a cell and throw him in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael in London writes, holy crap, was I the only one expecting to hear Easy Street when Daryl was thrown in that cell? That tops any waterboarding he went through only a few minutes before. Yeah, psychological warfare. It's not uh, it's not unheard of. You remember Easy Street though, right? From the oh, Saviors? Yeah. yeah, my kids are, my Jasper's going to know that just from DNA transfer. <laughs> Probably, that's right. <laughs> Here's a funny thing. We were driving uh, this weekend out to a cabin for a night on a lake and on the way there in the car, we were listening to my Spotify playlist that includes all the songs I've ever used on this podcast. Oh yeah. So I keep track of every song we've ever played on this podcast. We haven't done too much music in a while, but there was a time there when there was a ton. Anyways, one of those songs is Easy Street because nice. it was played on the podcast and on the show and it came on while we were in the car and my wife is sitting there in the passenger seat and the first thing she does is go, oh man, I love this song and turns it up. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows exactly what it is because she still watched the show back then. She no longer does, but uh, I yep. think it's funny that the torture song is is the one she decided to latch onto. Well, that uh, that goes right, that plays right into my theory that uh, after a while, people confuse knowing a song with liking a song. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you can hate a song until it becomes very familiar and then you suddenly love it. Yeah. Many, 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 many examples from the 80s for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Daryl's in this cell and a prisoner in a cell across from him starts talking. And this is Maggie's guy, Frost. So we weren't sure if Frost was dead or not. Turns out he's not, at least not, not yet. Dead. So he's talking like he knows Daryl which of course contradicts Daryl's story that he doesn't really know these people. So Daryl responds rather harshly. He's trying to play up the fake story that he doesn't know him. And Frost seems to clue in. He starts to get it and plays along. Uh, so he doesn't really give up Daryl's secret here. Uh, and then two Reapers come in, grab Frost, and take him away rather violently. Yeah, for like 14 seconds. And then they bring him back. Well, yeah, he, before he comes back, uh, well, you know what? Do they bring him, they don't bring him back immediately because I think we cut to later and we're not sure how long it's been. Are we? Oh, I assume that all cuts are immediate. Like <laughs> no. unless, uh, unless there's some kind of clock that indicates or a, a, you know, a shift from night to day or day to night or a change in lighting. I, I assume that all edits are uh, just camera movement. All right. Well, I think in this case, it's sometime later. Daryl's still in this cell. Leah comes in. She asks Daryl to tell the truth because, you know, maybe she, if she just asks, he will. I don't know. And he claims that he's never lied to her, but he sticks to this story and he says he'd help her if he could. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then the guy brings Frost back in and dumps him in the cell. He looks to be in even rougher shape. Um, and the guy says that they found Bossy and Turner, he says to Leah. Hmm. So I guess they took Frost away just to interrogate him and beat him up a whole bunch and then brought him back. 
Yeah, the time change makes sense now. Okay, there you go. Uh, so Leah follows this guy out into some other part of the building. We can hear moaning and groaning as they approach wherever they're going. They end up in this fancier room with draperies hung up and turns out that Turner, one of the Reapers, is dead on a stretcher and apparently Bossy carried him home and some Reaper, not Pope, is doing some kind of weird ceremony over his body uh, and then Leah kneels down over the body. Pope comes in and so we get our first really good look at him and he claims that God is here and he's angry and he suggests to Leah to go make them feel our wrath, meaning, I guess, Daryl and whoever else. Um, but the whole thing, this whole scene seemed rather unusual to me of what was going on over this dead guy's body. Well, yes and no. I mean, if we learned anything from Fight Club that, uh, you know, his name is Robert Paulson is, uh, you know, the kind of thing you do over a, uh, over a dead body. They have a name after they die. They've paid their price. They've, uh, you know, they've paid, paid for their travel, travel into the afterlife. Then this guy comes in and, uh, this sets it up for me, uh, the entire, uh, storyline of these people, as opposed to Alexandrians. Cause, uh, the last thing we heard Father Gabriel say is God is not here. Right. And the first thing we hear Pope say is God is here uh-huh. and we're, and we're angry. So that's in complete opposition to what Father Gabe said. So they're going to have it out. And that's the only real conclusion we can come to, right? I, I guess so, right? God's in one place and not the other. And uh, he used to they be were in the other place. They differing opinions. <laughs> right. It's, it's a really easy way to set up conflict. It is of, uh, you know, conflict of two, two men of God. Mm. I assume like we have a, you know, a preacher and a mercenary leader. Yeah. Very religious guy though. So we, we learn lots more about the Reapers as we go on here, but they seem to be some kind of like a religious uh, militia in a way. Right. Uh, yeah. And like, we'll, we'll get into it as we go here, but that's what they are kind of aggressive and violent and well-armed and seemingly well-trained. Uh, but the, the leader is, uh, very religious and seems to make all of his decisions and all of his motivations are kind of along those lines. Right. Yeah. Well, I assume that they're, uh, I kind of got a Knights Templar kind of vibe from them, right? They're, uh, you know, Knights of the realm sent on a mission from God in order to achieve some kind of find the Holy Grail type thing. Right. Uh, so uh, that's what I, I assumed that this was. It was just some kind of, uh, they're not really military and they're not really a religious organization. They're just this kind of weird hybrid uh, that's out. And I would, I don't know what they're, goal is yet? I don't think they, were, they quite kind of said their goals yet. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you that because there's more of this episode to come here, but I'm just realizing right now, even though we got a lot of information about the Reapers, did we really get what their ultimate goal is? And I don't think we did, but let's, let's continue on and maybe it'll come to us. Mm-hmm. So after this, uh, funeral scene or whatever it is. We go back to the cell where Daryl is. Leah comes in. This time she sits down outside his cell door and she tells him that Turner is dead 
refers to him as her brother, and she explains that they fought all over the world together and eventually went private. They became mercenaries. And she cries and tells Daryl it's the first time she's lost somebody close in a long time, uh, except for Daryl. So I, I think it's still been a while since she's seen Daryl, but I guess Daryl was someone close to her and she lost him or <laughs> abandoned him in a way. Um, Daryl claims that he came back and she was gone. And he says he got scared of, quote, letting go. And uh, that's why he didn't, like, I don't know, search for her. Or that's why he disappeared at, at first, right? And before yeah. he came back. So it, it's, uh, I'm worried about losing you, so I better leave. Right. It, it, yeah. You know, I, it, it's, it, it makes sense in a way, but in another way, it's crazy. So what does he mean by he was scared of letting go? Like he was letting go of his personal self a bit and becoming closer to her, opening up to another person. And that's why he, he took off. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's difficult because, you know, I've gone through periods in my life where I wasn't in any kind of relationship and didn't have any prospects for a relationship and there was nothing going on. Right. And there, there was a, there's a lot of baggage that you have to, uh, shoulder alone in that kind of situation. And then when you meet somebody, you feel like you're, you know, I, I've, this is a personal situation, but I felt like I put the bags down, right? Like I could let go of this baggage for a while. Yeah. And then I, and then we broke up and I felt like I had to pick up this baggage again and I didn't want to. It's right. like, well, but I have to because I need the baggage, right? I, I need this baggage in order to survive uh, being alone. So, I can understand it in a way that he has this baggage because he's been alone for so long and he met somebody and he's worried about putting the bags down because he might have to pick them up again. He doesn't know if he has the strength to do that. Hmm. So the only real choice he could make is to continue to carry the baggage and therefore leave. I think and that's, that's the only real explanation I can think of. Well, I, I think you've explained it brilliantly, actually. It, it It's a, it's a great metaphor. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's just because I lived it. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> hey, man, you live and learn. You do. I don't have any baggage anymore. I have different baggage. I've, uh, you know, I've let go of that baggage a long time ago, but I picked up some new bags. They're all, all right. shiny and new, and uh, they're very heavy. Okay, that's well, okay. I can shoulder the burden. I can do this. Of course, that's we all we all have to do that to some degree. Anyways, Lee and Daryl sit in silence for a minute, and then. Uh, she says that they wouldn't have been happy in a world like this, and this is who she really is, and despite everything, she cares about him, but Daryl needs to tell her something or Pope will kill him. And so then Daryl opens up a little bit. He says that there's a woman as the leader, talking about you know Maggie and the group. There's a woman that's a leader. There's a tall, skinny guy who never shuts up, which I think is a hilarious description of Negan. <laughs> he says there's a priest with a shotgun and he claims there are three dozen fighters, way more than the 15 people the Reapers have. So good old smart Daryl, he's telling the truth, but also lying. And he can do that because he was smart enough to pick up some information about these people on his way in. Yep. And that's how you tell a lie. I mean, it's very similar to what Eugene did a couple episodes ago, right? Where he he told the truth but lied and did it in such a convincing way that he, you know, bought their way into the Commonwealth. So Daryl's done the same thing here. And and who would have thunk it from yeah. Daryl, eh? 
Yeah, this show is turning into a masterclass on how to lie to people. It's really quite nice to see. It's amazing, actually. I, I like this kind of stuff. I like these kind of scenes. We go over to Pope in his quarters, I guess, with some of these uh, sheets and things hanging from the ceiling. He's sharpening a knife. Leah comes in and claims that she broke Daryl and provides the info she got. Pope claim- I have a nitpick. Oh, a nitpick. Let, let's hear it. My nitpick is the cliche of the uh, militaristic person uh, spending all his time sharpening his knife. Right. It. Uh, I have. I have three separate, distinct problems with this. One is if you're going to properly sharpen your knife, don't do it sitting down like this. Like put the put the sharpening stone on the table. Do it right. Don't do it this half-assed way. Uh, second of all, I think he was sharpening, what was he, it was his combat knife. Okay, so I don't really have a problem. If it was a bayonet, uh, oh, no, no, it is a bayonet. It's a bayonet. Uh, I have a problem. You don't sharpen bayonets. Uh, you want them to be dull. You don't want to, you know, have them nicely slice into people. You want them ripping nasty fucking holes. You. So, <laughs> yeah, you. No, you do not sharpen bayonets. This looks like it's a bayonet. Um, but it also could double as a combat knife, which, you know, probably could be quite sharp. So it's hard to say. Um, and the, the third problem is, it, is, I guess that's it. That's all the three problems. The cliche, that's not how you do that. And don't do that in the first place are my three problems. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I, I understand totally that, uh, the sort of bad military guy sitting there when nothing else is going on, sharpening a knife. And it feels like that's all he ever does in the non zombie apocalypse. I can see why that's kind of silly because there's always something else you could be doing. But in the zombie apocalypse, right, is there? I mean, maybe that maybe he's just bored and he's run out of stuff to do. So he sits there, sharpens his knife. Uh, play cards. You do something, you know, oh, make yeah. a deck of cards out of pieces of paper lying around. Oh. You, could, you could do some stuff. This, this cliche bugs me. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's from bad pulpy novels where... Uh, the bad guy uh, is having an interview with the with the protagonist, and the bad guy, uh, you know, is cleaning his gun or is sharpening a knife or has his sword on the table or something like that. Just kind of some show of right. militaristic bravado. It's it's complete bullshit. Doesn't mean anything. <laughs> he's not doing this because he's bored. He's doing this because it's uh, cinematically and from a story point of view, it informs his character. And I don't think we need this. He has a character that is part of this. I mean, sure. It was the, uh, the Mandarin from, uh, the Marvel universe. He's the same guy as, uh, as the Mandarin, I assume, uh, the actual Mandarin, not the, uh, the, the fake Trevor one, which was <laughs> hilarious. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I really got a Mandarin vibe from this guy, but his character is informed well enough without this fucking cliche bullshit. So my, my nitpick is really, did we have to have this in the show? I was going to say, how else are we going to know he's evil then? But you've already said, we, I think we already do. Well, we got a, we got a, uh, a magical fire thing later, so we can talk about that. Sure. That, oh. that does just as well a job as this. We've got lots of extra evil stuff coming up, so we'll get to that. Uh, anyways, Lee uh, tells, as I said, the explains the information she got. Pope claims that they've lost a day tracking their enemy because she went on a fishing expedition with an old boyfriend. So he's not originally convinced or initially convinced that what they got out of Daryl was of any use. And... 
it Leah seems to be trying to get Daryl to join them rather than just get information. Um, and Pope is skeptical of this, of course, but seems to trust what she's saying. Like he, I feel like he, in, in, he puts a lot of trust in her overall in this episode in, in a bunch of different scenes. Uh, and I know we don't really get a lot of insight into what his relationship with the other Reapers are like, but you gotta feel, at least I did, that there was something a little deeper between Pope and Leah. I don't know. Did you feel that at all? Well, I mean, as far as, you know, primary characters in this episode, yes, there's something going on there that's deeper than the other random people that are yeah. wandering around doing nothing but, uh, you know, sidemen stuff. Well, there's a guy but, standing in the room the whole time they have this conversation too, which I thought was funny. He's just sort of background gun holding guy. Yeah. Well, it's setting the militaristic tone of the, uh, of the Reapers, yeah, right? Yeah. Why was he there? I don't know. Why is he guarding? Uh, why is he, you know, guarding from inside the room, staring at the guy he's supposed to be guarding? I don't know. That's yeah. a really dumb thing to do. If you're going to guard somebody, turn around and face the other way because <laughs> the, the threat's not going to come from the guy that you're guarding uh, unless you're guarding that guy, right? Like uh -huh. you're, not, you're not guarding for that guy, but you're actually guarding from that guy. Uh -huh. So if you're guarding from like the frigging uh, rubber suit dudes, stormtroopers uh, from the Commonwealth, they were all standing around not looking at anything, <laughs> right? They were supposed to be guarding the prisoners. They weren't looking at the prisoners. They were you know, not looking at each other. Right. Knowingly. And, and some <laughs> of them were too busy, uh, right, too busy running off to uh, get it on. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that's fine and everything. You know, if you can have yourself a workplace romance, I say go for it. As long as it doesn't get anybody hurt and everybody's a consenting adult, it's good. You only live once, man. But, uh, yeah, so guarding is weird. All right. Well, Anyways, the Reapers now have Daryl tied up in a chair, uh, in the room in the chair again, that, uh, that room we saw at the beginning. Leah comes in and says Pope is on his way. And then she unties his ropes and says, follow my lead. So I'm sitting there going, oh, actually, she's, she's working both sides here. I think she's letting him go. Uh, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And she turns to go open the door, finds that it's locked. Suddenly, gas floods in under the door and the place is lit on fire. So now we have Leah and Daryl in this room that is suddenly on fire and they need to escape. So mm -hmm. Daryl jumps up and tries to save them. He gives Leah a face covering so she doesn't breathe too much smoke. And after, you know, trying to pull some boards off the windows and things like that, eventually he finds a metal pipe he can use to pry them off. He gets the boards off, punches out the glass with his bare hand. I mean, he has a half glove on, sure, but he punches the glass and they both escape out the window. Yeah. Um, outside, they're on the ground. They pick themselves up. Pope and the other Reapers are waiting for them. Leah walks over and stands with them, turning to face Daryl. So she wasn't on his side at all. She was part of this whole, whole ruse. Yeah, and it was a test. And I think they should have played this up uh, or played it out or at least informed us. But 
in order, it was it was a test. It was a it was a test for uh, of of Daryl. He's been he's been tested since the moment he got here, right? Will he? Uh, not give information? Will he resist torture? Mm-hmm. Will he uh, give false information? And when, uh, when you're, you know, when you're in a building that's on fire, will you escape unharmed? Right. And in order to allow him to be tested, Leah had to put her life on the line. Mm-hmm. Like she walked into that room, I think, uh, knowing that they would set the thing on fire. Yep. And that she not only walked in there knowing that the building would be set on fire and there was no really easy way to get out, that uh, she also knew that she could not help because she's a professional soldier. She has been for a long time. Mm -hmm. She's been through, uh, you know, adverse conditions before. She can think, obviously she can think under these conditions and she doesn't just crumple into a, a, you know, a useless ball that has to be carried out. Uh, so I think that all, even the fact that she was on the ground choking, not being able to do anything was also a ruse. So she had to put her life completely on the line and in Daryl's hands in order to prove that he was worthy of, uh, making it to the next step. They didn't really tell us that though, but so I have to assume that. Yeah, no, you're right. The episode didn't really tell us that until after, right? Like we figured all, or you figured all this out and it makes complete sense. Um, but I, I was legitimately thinking she's, if not fully on Daryl's side here and just kind of playing along with the Reapers for now until they can find a way to escape or at least partly there, right? She was sort of working both sides for some reason. Um, but as soon as they're out of this building and she turns around and stands with her Reapers, I was like, oh my God, well, this was all a test and... She was never on Daryl's side at all. This was all to just see what he could do and see what he would do in this this uh, pretty harmful situation. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that she was on Daryl's side because without her going into that into that room and risking her life, they never would have let him try and prove himself. Well, like Daryl she- Daryl's side in terms of getting him to join this group. Like I was thinking more get away from the group. Oh yeah, no, she. That was never the plan. It was. Uh, yeah. I believe in you. I believe in you so much that I'm willing to risk my life. Right. In order to prove it to you, me, and them. Totally, totally. That that makes a lot of sense too. So when they're standing out there, Pope starts going on about Daryl being forged by fire and stuff like that, right? And and he welcomes him basically into this group. And you've got the the subtitles on there. Uh, I didn't make a note of what they all say, but all the Reapers chant something together. Do you happen to have it in front of you? Uh, let me just see here. Welcome him. And then, uh, Fortulio Statutus. It wasn't English. It was, uh, it's, it's Latin or Italian or Latin. Yeah. I think it's Latin. The funny thing is I wrote down the, uh, the translation here. I went to, I went looking and comicbook.com says that that is Latin from the King James Bible, and it roughly means support in times of war. So that seems to be a mantra of this group that they're chanting together, support in times of war. Fortitudo saludis. Yeah. I don't speak the Latin, but uh, apparently there's a Latin course offered at my daughter's high school, so maybe I should get her in there and she can learn and teach me. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's the only, uh, she's in French, of course. 
uh, and Latin is like the only other language she has the option of studying. It's weird. It's not English? Well, she studies English and French amongst other subjects, high school sub- subjects, but uh, they used to offer German and Italian and things like that. Now it's only Latin. Oh, that'd be handy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, why not teach a dead language instead of one that might be useful? Of course, why not? All right, well, we take a commercial break, and when we come back, um, this episode from here on gets a little talky. And in fact, up until this point, it's been a little talky as well, but at least we had, you know, the burning building action scene and the cold open and stuff like that. Uh, But the rest of it is really a lot of chit-chat, so... Yeah, we had Dog's Betrayal, like absolute betrayal of Daryl. We did have Dog's Betrayal. That's a heartbreaker right there. It really is. Because it never gets resolved in this whole episode. Like, that's it. Dog betrayed Daryl, and that's the end of it. It, Well, I hope it gets resolved at some point. But uh, from here on in, there's a lot of discussion. And we have Pope questioning Daryl, and he asks him if he believes in God. Daryl says no. He just believes in in himself. And I thought Pope's response to that was kind of funny. He basically just says, well, that's a mistake because you're not God. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Plain and simple. The standard response is God believes in you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he Pope continues to talk about his time fighting in Afghanistan. He relates it to God, but he's talking about how the soldiers were the ones experiencing the horrors of war, but they didn't get the respect that they deserved uh, from like the politicians and stuff like that. And he says it's what led them to becoming mercenaries. And, you know, he just goes on, as I said, talking about the difference between politicians in charge versus him and his people on the ground and stuff like that. And I was thinking, and I don't know if this occurred to you, Jason, but it reminded me a little bit of that mural that Daryl saw in the subway, right? The two different classes, the people wearing the crowns and then the, the lower classes attacking and ripping the crowns off of the people. And Pope is here talking about the, the politicians in charge and the, the soldiers on the ground and the disparity between the, the two and stuff. I don't know if uh, the episode was going for that or if it really means anything, but it occurred to me while I was listening to Pope talk. Yeah, maybe the uh, the entire you know theme of this uh, season is uh, to highlight uh, class structure and how well, that you can tear that down. It actually very well could be, right? I mean, that's one of the things that zombies can represent. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Might be what The Walking Dead's going for. I personally believe it's consumerism. Sure, that's another it, thing. Yeah, it, they're the same as, uh, you know, buying shit on Amazon. You buy shit you don't need and it's killing you. It's, <laughs> kill, it's killing me. <laughs> Is it? You just can't stop buying stuff? Well, I, I haven't bought anything on Amazon in a while. I bought a rock tumbler like a month ago. Oh, really excited to maybe use it someday. Maybe someday. All right. <laughs> I got to clear off the counter in another room and plug it in. And there's a whole thing. Perfect. Well, stop buying stuff that's killing you. It's no good. I've wanted one since I was, I had a rock tumbler when I was young and I've wanted one for a long time. And Jasper started looking at uh, rocks. Uh, he loves picking up rocks and stuff. So I thought sure. maybe he would like it. And he loved the rough, you know, pretty rocks that it comes with. It comes with a bunch of things that once polished up would be really nice. Anyway. That's neither here nor there. Sure. Someday we'll do a rock tumbling podcast. Good times. Sure. Uh, Pope also continues to tell a story about his crew being stuck in a burning building, but they all got out safely, like not a scratch on them. And he decides that because of that, this means they are the chosen ones, capital C, capital O. 
And he also thinks that because Daryl escaped the burning building without a scratch, he's now born of fire, as I said before, and basically is one of them. So if this group is not called the Reapers, they are now called the Chosen Ones. But we can continue calling them the Reapers if you want. Wait, they're not... Wait. Oh, do they call themselves the Chosen Ones uh, and they other people call them Reapers? I'm not sure about that, but that could be the case. I do feel like Pope was like calling them selves the chosen ones i don't know maybe don't reapers know. is a is a name given to them externally who knows maybe i mean people call zombies all kinds of stuff well that's true never zombies so who knows people have names for things that don't necessarily uh have anything to do with their actual actual names yeah right well we'll see how this plays out i mean it may be a matter of perspective what you call this group but uh if that's the case, then we're free to come up with our own name for them, too. So think about that for a minute. Yeah. Anyways, we cut outside and the Reapers slash Chosen Ones are eating around a fire. Pope brings Daryl out and he tells Leah that she was right about him and he's family now. So it's nice. it, it's weird. I Pope seems to be just accepting Daryl into this group, which... I don't know, feels like a lot of trust to put upon someone who, yeah, sure, they got out of a building you lit on fire, but, you know, you've just met the guy, and Well, weird. yeah, I mean, there, there's uh, there's some indoctrinating going on here, right? It's uh, when Daryl first, uh, when they started having the conversation in the room, he said, you know, I passed your test, and he's uh, basically Pope said you passed a test, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's not the only test, but then he comes out and says he's family. Now he, he's talking as if Daryl's fully indoctrinated into the, uh, into their group, but that's a ploy in order to get Daryl to buy into this, right? You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, welcoming him, making him feel important, making him feel part of the family. Uh, and it's to, uh, it's not necessarily convince or telling everybody that he is part of the group. It's in order to convince him that he wants to be part of the group and that he wants to live up to uh, that acceptance that he's now gained, even yep. though it's it's tentative and conditional. Uh, and he knows that from a logical level, but there's still that feeling of, they really like me. They like me. <laughs> you really, really, really is, like me. It, it's hard to give up that thing. Sure. When, uh, when you feel it. Totally. Well, what happens next? Do you think that's part of, of Pope in a way trying to communicate sort of what they're all about to Daryl oh, and or frighten him into submission in a way? Um, and maybe we no. should talk about what happens next before I ask you that. Well, uh, I think... I'm not entirely sure. This is this is a. Um, I'm not sure if it's a Walking Dead specific trope or whether it's just uh, in general. But it's a. Uh, a leader has to show leadership by killing or maiming their own people, right? And mm -hmm. you know, Negan's done it. The governor's done it. Everybody's done it, right? It shows the bad guys and how they uh, uh, how they govern their people. Uh, by killing them off if they do anything, even the slightest infraction. Alpha did it. Uh, you know, all the bad guys do it. So I don't know if it's necessarily just this show, but uh, in this show in particular, all the bad guy leaders do this. Yeah. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Well, what happens is that Pope starts talking to his people. He begins praising Bossy. 
this one guy, this one Reaper, for carrying Turner back. And then he questions why Bossy has wounds on his back. Leah tries to calm the situation a little bit by saying it's been a difficult day for everyone, but Pope basically accuses Bossy of being a coward and running away, hence the wounds on his back. He compares it to Daryl getting Leah out of the fire first, because apparently Daryl did that, like he, he got her out first and he gave her the, the uh, face covering for the smoke, saying, you know, Pope saying he'd go to extreme lengths to keep her safe. And Pope says, you never turn your back on your brother. He says that God used fire, uses fire for like rebirth, but also for wrath. And then he takes Bossy's face and sticks it into the fire and he burns up to a crisp and it's super gross. So clearly Bossy is the super charred walker that was hanging on the Judas tree in the last episode that Negan and Maggie saw. Oh, yeah. It has to be, okay. right? No, you're right. Uh, you're absolutely right. I was thinking, uh, my entire brain forgot that this was during the same timeline as the last episode. I completely forgot that. And I was thinking that Bossy, uh, his fate was the same as that other guy. I hadn't put them uh, together oh. like that. So thank you. I, I mean, no, it I, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I guess it could be the same, but not the same guy. But I think there's no reason to do that. I think they burnt this dude up, hung him on the tree, called him a Judas, and... There you go. So that means that it's not Elijah. Um, nope. And we still don't know the status of Elijah, whether he's alive or dead, but I'm going to assume alive for now because we didn't see a body. Um, but just to finish up this episode, Pope says that they are the chosen ones again. He says they run into the battle, into the fire. It's almost a rallying cry, I feel like. And uh, Daryl looks on as all this happens. And I must admit, Leah looks pretty concerned, if you ask me. The look on her face is like, oh man, this is this is not great. Here we go again, maybe. Um, but that's it. Cut to black. Episode over. I have uh I have a number of problems with this. And it has nothing to do with the it's not none of these are nitpicks. It's uh it's character issues. So Pope was, I assume, part of their uh leadership structure when they were in the military, uh, as well as their leader while they're mercenaries before, mm -hmm. and while they were mercenaries. And now that's, is their leader in the apocalypse. Yeah. So if he's military trained and I assume they're all military trained, the military, uh, has effective ways of teaching people how to be good leaders and not only be good leaders as in you have to be a good manager so that people will, uh, uh, you know, look up to you and want to be able to do their jobs, but leaders in a way that you at some point could very well ask this person to sacrifice their life in order to achieve some kind of goal. And in order to, uh, be able to be that kind of leader, you have to not think of them as, as, uh, uh, exposable or no, sorry, disposable, but you have a responsibility to them, not from them. Mm -hmm. Your responsibility to them is to keep them safe, to keep them happy and not to ask them to do that unless it's worth it. And unless, uh, it is something to, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not even sacrificing a life. You are, uh, 
asking them to do something that will be of the betterment of the uh, of the entire group or whatever it is. And in order to have that kind of um, leadership ability, you don't treat people like this. You do not say, you know, you're injured on your back, therefore you are a coward and running away. What if you were protecting somebody else and the best way to do that is to shield them by covering them mm-hmm. and, uh, and therefore you got an injury on your back. This is not a telling thing. It, it's, you know, it, there's circumstances involved in this situation. If you ran away and left somebody, that's a whole other thing, right? And if he did that, then talk about that. Don't talk about the injuries on his back. Sure. And then if he did something wrong, teach him. Don't burn him in a fire. Well, yeah, but, and also we know that, uh, this bossy guy carried Turner like 10 miles back. He carried him back to them, right? It's like, yeah, it doesn't seem like he abandoned him or ran away or anything like that. But I think what they're going for here is Pope is insane. He's, he's not, he's not a rational leader that's going to do anything like this. Like he is a insane religious dictator kind of, I guess, right? Who's going to just burn one of his people in the fire, which doesn't eat, which makes even less sense when you think Daryl just told them that they have three times as many fighters as they do. And he's going to sacrifice one of them into the fire for something stupid, right? It's like now you have one less guy. Yeah. So the fact that these were a military and a military unit, whatever, in whatever form that took, we're not really sure. But if he was their leader and they were military trained, he would know not to lead them this way. They would know not to follow some crazy fucker that was leading them this way. Uh, they also have, uh, you know, a responsibility to follow lawful orders and not to do things to, of a crazy leader for a crazy leader. Yeah. They would shoot him in the fucking head. It'd be like, you're obviously out of your goddamn mind and are, sac- you know, killing people in a fire uh, for... Uh, infractions that may or may not be real, they would take him out. Like, just be like, you're no longer an effective leader. Why would we follow you? Okay. But is there any, you know, is there any like cult aspect to this where these people are, are not doing that because they're for some reason following this leader in a cult like way? Yes. And that's what we see with the whispers that what we saw with Negan. That's what we saw with the governor. Those are all cult like organizations where they could, they do this kind of thing in order to like, even cult leaders wouldn't do that. But, uh, in this universe they do apparently cult leaders do that kind of thing in order to inspire fear Mm -hmm. because they think that fear is a good way to lead people, which is absolutely is not, but these aren't a cult. Right, they didn't come together as an as a cult. They didn't come together because he was a, a forceful personality. They came together because they were a military unit and they were family and they worked well together. Right, uh, and one of their family members is going off the rails, uh, so they would deal with that instead of going. Geez, guess we should not turn our backs on the enemy. Yeah, like that's not that's not the lesson they would learn from this. The lesson that they would learn from this is that guy's fucking crazy. We got to get rid of him. So at the end of the day, you're saying not too much of this makes sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. None of this would happen in this situation. Well, Justine in NorCal writes, holy crap, did you see a Daryl episode that was kind of crappy? I never thought I'd say this about a Daryl-centric episode, but I did not like rendition and almost stopped watching. 
I'm not invested in his relationship with his ex and underwhelmed by the new big bad. Uh, so that's kind of a nice way of saying that none of this makes any sense. And I get the feeling from lurking around the internet a little bit that this episode wasn't really liked that much by by most people. Uh, so you're not the only one who who had some problems with this, I don't think. Well, here's the thing, is that I, I did like this episode. Well, Mostly when I said that, uh, you know, I had my nitpick dial set properly and I didn't find anything that really bothered me. Obviously, I found some things along the way here, where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we go. But uh, overall, I mean, I didn't think the episode was stellar, but I didn't, I thought it was serviceable. I thought, you know, hey, it's pretty cool. Daryl survived the fire that uh, Pope wanted him to survive without a scratch. And he got Leah through the whole situation and is talking about God baptizes people by fire. He absolutely does not do that, by the way. He uses no. water. We yeah. all know that. Everybody right? knows that. <laughs> we, we know that. Sure. Uh, you know, but- and he also doesn't punish people by fire. That's, you know. That's the devil's, that's Lucifer's job. God doesn't do that. Uh-huh. Right? He's like, oh, you, you want to you be evil and stuff? Well, he just turns his back on you. Right? He's just like, okay, fuck you. He doesn't actually, you know, actively try and torture you. That's what the, that's what the devil's for. He just goes, mm, you're on your own here, pal. Sure. But all that plays into Pope being crazy and misguided, right? He's not acting uh, in any way that you could claim would be sort of, be under God, I don't think. Um, yeah, this, uh, now, you know, more. the more I think about it, the more I think that this doesn't make any sense as a military organization, it doesn't make any sense as a religious organization, it doesn't make any sense as a cult. It's just a bunch of these guys and girls doing doing stuff, I guess. It's a bunch of people reason. doing stuff. There you go. That's, that's yeah. I mean, that's most of the population, I think, most of the time. <laughs> Without uh, clear goals or objectives. Right. Yeah, that's the other thing. So we never really figured out what the Reaper's goals are, really. Um, You know, reap what you sow. What does that mean? That means you put out, you get back sort of what you put out into the world, right? Well, sort of. You you, uh, Because ideally you would get more than just a bunch of seeds, right? You sow a bunch of seeds and then it grows into plants and then you reap the plants and you get, you reap your rewards. You well, don't just get back what you put out. You well, get more back. R- sure, reaping your rewards. But I think the idiom, you reap what you sow, means if you put negativity out into the world, you're just going to get negativity back. So, oh yeah, if you plant fucking evil seeds, you're going to get evil plants. There you go. Uh, if you put uh, asshole seeds in the ground, you're going to grow assholes, <laughs> which is, you know, really you don't want to, you don't want to do. I do not want to walk out into my back garden and find a bunch of asshole plants. No. <laughs> Fun fact, when, uh, when a, uh, when, uh, uh, an embryo starts growing into, you know, you have a single cell and it divides into multiple cells <laughs> and divides into more and more cells, the first structure that forms in those uh, in those cells is basically uh, it's like a, a tube with one out uh, uh, opening in order to eject kind of uh, garbage. So the first thing that forms for any mammal is an asshole. You know, I, I, that's I, all you are is an asshole, <laughs> and uh, most people grow out of that. Keep firing assholes. No, I mean <laughs> some people grow out of it. I don't. Now that I know that, I don't know if I can continue because that's the. <laughs> We've continue with what life, the, the podcast. I don't know. We've reached the end of the podcast. You just explained to me that the first thing that grows in an embryo is an asshole. All right. Yeah, this is the first thing. Okay. Well. The whole process of, uh, gestating a baby is fucking horror show. If, if you really want to know this, know the, like the, those pictures you get of, uh, uh, unborn babies with, uh, 
uh, you know, the, not the the sonograms, but the uh, the 3D images. Uh huh. The reason those are so freaky is that m- most embryos or most uh, uh, babies, well, before they come out of the womb, don't have any body fat. So they're just skin hanging off of goddamn muscles and bones and stuff. It's, it's a real, and they're, and they're covered in hair. The whole thing is just, there's so much hair in there. It's, well, it's a horror show. Well, it sounds like you did your research when, uh, when you were becoming a father and that's good. You want to have all the information, I guess. Yeah. I wish I really did. It's much more fun to think of it, but oh, it's the size of, size of a pomegranate now. Uh-huh. Or an eggplant. Oh, it's the size of an orange. I'm so excited. It's a very orangey shape sized. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So that's much better. Let's stay that. Let's stay there. let's stick with that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I didn't mind this episode either. I thought it had its ups and downs. Um, in a way, I I wrote a note here that I thought the best part of it was that we kind of got all the Reaper stuff out in the open all at once, right? They weren't like just giving us little bits and pieces and hints and things like that about who these people are and what they're doing. Um, now having talked about it, I realize we don't really understand their motivations yet or what their goals are. Um, so maybe we don't know all the Reapers information yet, but I do feel like it was a pretty good introduction to them overall. And I'm glad we had an episode that just kind of focused on it. I also thought that Richie Coster, the guy that played Pope was really great. He's clearly a maniac, and this actor played him like a maniac. And yeah. I thought all of the time spent just with him speechifying and telling people things and explaining things to the audience, I thought it was actually really well done. Um, it definitely held my attention, and I thought he did a great job. So I enjoyed that about it. Yep. Um, but let's talk about Daryl and Leah for a second before we wrap up here. Um, what do you think Daryl is doing here, Jason? Do you think there's any chance in hell that he's standing around under, you know, going all of this and actually considering joining up with these people? Because Pope seems to think Daryl is family now, but he's not, right? No, and nobody thinks that. Nobody. There's, I don't know why he's saying, well, I do know why he's saying, and he's saying it too in order to get him to feel more uh, involved in the whole situation, but nobody believes that he doesn't believe it. The people there don't believe it because they know it's all bullshit. Daryl's like, that's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he, and he doesn't want to No, Daryl's not buying into this crap at all. Okay. So where this is going to go is that, uh, he is going to escape somehow and, and, or, or take down this whole organization in a way. And I think that even though, Leah gets out of that building that's on fire and immediately turns around and starts doing the the Reaper chant. I am not convinced that she's 100% on board with Pope. And, you know, you've explained it very well, which, you know, it would make sense that she's not because of all those things. Um, But whether the show kind of goes there or not, I just generally don't think she's 100% on board. So we could be into a situation here where her and Daryl team up, take them down or at the very least, just escape together. And now she's, you know, with our group, but, but I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing yeah. that. Cause I kind of like to see her. I, I enjoyed watching her again. Um, and I like the character for some reason. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't think she's completely buying into this, uh, anymore, 
I think she was probably, uh, you know, all in at some point, but uh, there does seem to be some sowing the seeds of doubt mm-hmm. in order to reap the doubt plants that uh, she's growing there. <laughs> yeah. To, you know, to you know, keep hammering a dead metaphor. Uh, she has expressed, you know, I'll just follow my lead. And then seeing the horror, it's what's going on with, uh, I've forgotten his name already. Is it Bono? It's not, probably not Bono. Who, the guy that got burned the, in the fire? The guy that got burned. Boner. <laughs> Nope, that's uh, Revenge of the Nerds, right? Or uh, uh, was something Boner? Boner no, um, oh my Booger. god. Okay, Booger anyways, was Revenge of the Nerds, but Boner was uh, yeah. There's something, some character named Boner in recent years. Anyway, it was, was his bo- name? It was Bossy. Bossy. Okay, so uh, yeah, I knew it sounded sort of like a cow. Uh, you got Bessie, you got Bossy, uh-huh. you got Bono. That's a good cow name. Boner. You know, I could see a cow named Boner. Okay. Cows don't care, right? They don't care what they're called. Uh, no, uh, not really. <laughs> I would assume. I don't know. I've, never, I've had very few conversations with a cow. Was Boner a friend on Who's the Boss? Is that what it was? Oh my God, I don't know. I've never saw, oh, Who's the Boss? Uh, don't recall that. Anyway, we're going to have to figure that. It's in the zeitgeist growing somewhere. Pains, but not, growing Pains. Growing Pains. Thank you. Boner was on Growing Pains. Okay. <sighs> Who? Why? Didn't, was in the, Nobody knew back then? Like, did it come from that? No, I knew. I was watching Growing Pains. It's like, Boner, really? Yeah, I mean, it's the most they could get away with on TV, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's like uh, Magnum P.I., his best friend's name is Blowjob. He's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. What? It's not a real thing. I don't remember that. If on Magnum P.I., his best friend was named Blowjob. It just... You know, it's back in the 70s, early 80s. They didn't know what blowjobs were back then. Now it's more <laughs> pretty, apparent. Pretty sure they did. <laughs> exactly. They probably knew what boners were at the time, too. All right. So, but how they thought they could get away with it, I don't know. But Be- Bessie was his name, right? Bossy. Bossy. Uh, yeah. So she, Leah seemed pretty horrified about what's going on with, uh, with Bossy there. So uh, she has her doubts now, too. How the other people feel, I don't know, because they were all wordless drones. They were. Uh, but uh, yeah, her and Daryl, and hopefully Dog, are going to make their escape. Are going to bust out of this place and leave the Reapers in their dust. That's what I want to see. One last point, um, or maybe this is an Easter egg, I don't know. One of the Reapers, one of the other Reapers is known as Carver. That was his last name. And that is the same name as a major character in season two of the Telltale Walking Dead video game. Carver. Oh, nice. So probably not a coincidence, maybe an Easter egg, whether it has anything to do with that game or connects in any way. Other than that, I don't know, but you know, you never know. It's the Walking Dead universe after all. So could be, could be the same guy. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, one, one thing we did learn from this episode is that there's a really good chance that uh, this group has nothing to do with Maggie. Uh, yeah, because they don't seem to know anything about her. Yeah, he said that they've got a, a woman for a leader and a tall guy that talks too much. Uh, they didn't say, like, you know, they have a, uh, you know, the Pope is the definitive leader of this group and has been for a long time. Uh, Maggie it was not part of their military unit before, uh, before the fall, they called it. So, uh no, she has nothing to do with this group whatsoever. So that whole Judas thing had nothing to do with Maggie at all. No. And in fact, was odd in its own right, because who is the sign for, right? I mean, this guy killed uh, Bossy. Correct. Bessie, Bossy. Yep. Uh, in the fire and then put up, uh, put it, you know, tied the 
zombified corpse to a tree, which they had to drag all the way out there. I guess they just love dragging people around. But they dragged this guy all the way out to the outskirts, tied him to a tree facing out, and put Judas on this sign. Wouldn't he just hang him next to the fire with a sign that says Judas? to? Because this was entirely for uh, the Reapers for the chosen ones to know that you don't turn your back on your friends. So who's the message for? This is all really interesting. Like, how does Maggie fit into this at all, right? She seemed to think, or the the feeling I got from her is that these Reapers really terrorized her people and she basically barely escaped from them, right? So how is it possible that they have no idea who they're dealing with and why are they so aggressive towards them other than they're, they're just aggressive and they want to kill everybody. But like, you're right. What, where's the connection here? I'm not really feeling it. You know what I mean? What does Maggie have yeah. to do with them other than they terrorized her? And, and what do they have to do with her and why don't they know more about her? Right. This is the I, information I they're trying to get out of Daryl, unless that's all a ruse too, for some reason. I don't know. I'm, it's not all falling into place very quickly here for me. No. And another thing that doesn't fall into place that uh, just occurred to me was that Leah said to Daryl that she hadn't lost anybody in a while, right? Except for Daryl and uh, this guy that died. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Except that, uh, you know, during the pandemic episodes, didn't, uh, didn't they kill a Reaper? Big tall dude got a fucking grenade, blew up. Yeah. In the field there? They did. That was in Maggie's, the first uh, of the pandemic episodes, Maggie's one. Um, yeah. Wouldn't he have been a family member that Leah has lost recently? She, it, it would be for sure. Um, the only explanation I can think there is like she was closer to this Turner guy than she was to to that dude whom I, whose name I forget. So I'm pretty sure they just missed it. Yeah. I think this was a miss on the writer's part. It could be, you know, and I mean, I know Leah also talked about her, was it her son, right? I mean, she lost yeah. a son too. I mean, I know that was before, so sure, that qualifies as not recently. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, she, unless she feels differently about certain members of the Reapers than others, I don't know. I don't know. The, well, they didn't explain that. No. So there's, there's, some, there's some holes here. And the more we talk about it, the more I think about it, the more kind of questions I end up with. But you're right. I mean, that Judas, who was that message for and how did they know where to put it? And why would they, why would they put it there and not, and if they're there anyways, it sort of indicates that they know where Maggie is going and Negan was in where they were and unless it's just random, but nothing's random, right? So I don't know. I don't know. It's not coming together for me anymore. It, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's like all the statues on Easter Island. They're all facing out. Why are they facing out? Aren't they, who are they for? Are they, <laughs> they're not for the people that were on Easter Island. They're for somebody else. They're for the people arriving at Easter Island, I guess. Okay. Either way, <laughs> the, either way, none of this Reaper's stuff is, is making, it's making less sense than it did to me when we started this. Um, I still appreciate the fact that we kind of learned a little bit about their organization and we learned about Pope, but yeah, it's not all, uh, it's not all clear to me anyways. And they still have firearms? Yes, they do. Okay. Well, it seems a little odd. One guy had a, the guard that was in the room there that was guarding Pope and Daryl. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a flintlock now that I think about it. 
I don't think it was, I think it was some kind of muskety type weapon. Anyway. I don't know. They used a lot of um, hand-to-hand weapons in the forest there, a lot of throwing blades and things like that. But you're right. That guy was standing there with a gun for sure. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. It was weird. Alrighty. Well, that is season 11, episode four. Uh, lots of things to figure out. And if you have any thoughts, of course, send in feedback and comments and, and whatever else for our feedback show coming up later this week. Uh, now, before we end, of course, as usual, we need to thank some new patrons and choose this week's winner in our season 11 uh Patron prize, um, what's another P word? Patron prize, uh... Please? <laughs> no, I don't know. Anyways, something. We'll think of something. Sometimes by the end of the season, we'll have a name for this whole thing. Um, anyways, new patrons this week, Rita O and Zara N. Thank you so much for becoming patrons of the Talking Dead podcast. You can do that at uh, patreon.com slash Dead. And this week's prize is an Alpha t-shirt. So uh, uh, a shirt, Walking Dead shirt with Alpha and some whispers on it. Very, very cool. Okay, Jason, it's that time again. You are going to reach into whatever prize container you have mustered up this week and pull out our winner's name. So this time what I did was uh, I, I had a neighbor that had a whole bunch of kittens. So what I did was I borrowed a box of kittens and I, they, they each have little tags on them. So I put tags of all the different patrons' names on them. Uh, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to use this feather that I have. And uh, the first kitten to, to grab it out of my hand, I'm going to read the name off of, uh, off of that tag. So uh, there we go. I'm putting it into the, oh, so fluffy and cute. I love these kittens. <laughs> Oh, got it. Okay, got it. We got a real fierce one here. It's a little black kitten. Uh, very, very cute. Big, big green eyes. All right. Do cats have green eyes? I don't know if they have green eyes, but this one does. Uh, this one does, of course, because this kitten has green eyes. Oh, he's so fuzzy. He's purring a storm too. Okay, so the name on the tag is Scott E. All right. Scott E. Scott E. Scott E. Thank you very much for that. Uh, box of kittens, much nicer than bag of hair. Yeah, and, a bag of bag of chips too. That was pretty good. But right. uh, yeah, this is a bag of a box of kittens, not a bag of kittens. That'd be a whole different thing. Uh-huh. But uh, a box of kittens. This kid, this uh, this this particular cat. Uh, his name is uh, Professor Fluffington. Uh, but he has. I, I put Scott E's name on the tag. So Scott E, you won your prize from Professor Fluffington. All right. Well, congratulations, Scott E. I will be in touch via Patreon and email if I need to. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, we'll get your alpha t-shirt in the mail and organized as soon as we can. So uh, congrats to you. As I said, if you want to uh, get in on any of these, and again, we only have just over like 80 patrons or something, so odds are are solid. I mean, we're choosing a random one every week, Uh, but you can join at patreon.com slash the talking dead. And uh, again, thank everyone that does and uh, hope people are enjoying their prizes. I know the first two are, have arrived with their recipients. I heard from both of them. Wow. And uh, it's, it's exciting that they got their stuff. And uh, the third one from last week will be going out uh, this week sometime soon. Awesome. 
Alrighty, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, if uh, what do we have coming up next? It's our feedback show later this week about this episode. So, of course, get your thoughts and comments in. To do that, you can visit talkingdeadpodcast.com, click on send voicemail at the top, and uh, record a message for us. You can also just do that on your phone and then email us the audio file. To do that, Send your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, where I at least tweet each episode out now going forward and sometimes even respond and or like other people's tweets. It's very exciting for me. Oh, yeah. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Cool. It's, it, we resurrected it. Now, listen. You can like things on Twitter? Uh, well, there's a little heart icon. I click that sometimes. Is that new? That's not new. No, it's got to be new. I don't think it's new. All right. Uh, I don't think I've ever liked anything on Twitter. Well, I don't know. You should go back and see what the last thing you tweeted was. It might be funny. Who knows? We did that once. We looked at uh, my last tweet. Well, I have to sign in. That that's the whole thing. I have to figure out my password. And stuff. Right. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, Twitter. Oh, I was going to say that uh, on Sunday nights when Walking Dead airs and then AMC's Talking Dead airs. It's kind of crazy for me to, you know, go into the Twitter account and do anything because a lot of people just tweet at it thinking that they're talking to AMC, uh, right. which is the main reason I kind of didn't use it for a long time because it became annoying. But uh, that, that uh, I don't know, slows down as, as the week goes on. Um, so I can jump in there. But uh, yeah, at Talking Dead on Twitter if you want to give us a follow. Okay, we will see you later this week, everyone. Thank you so much. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.